Right. All right. So today, Matthew 22, 15 through 22 is our text. And um, we're going to talk about appearances, appearances. And uh, one thing that is generally healthy about our culture right now, uh, maybe you agree, maybe you don't, uh, is that people value genuineness. People value genuineness. And when someone is putting on appearances, we can tell, right? We can tell. And we don't like it. Not only can we tell, we don't like it. And when we ourselves are putting on appearances, we know we are, and um, we don't like that either. And so what we want to talk about today, and just keep kind of going deeper and deeper into this, is why do we put on appearances? So here are just really quick four answers. Don't write this down. Just think with me. Why do we put on appearances? Number one is to fit in, right? We just want to fit in. We want a sense of belonging. We want to be known, so we put on appearances. We're trying to fit into some crew of people uh, that isn't like us, and so we try to fit in, we put on appearances. Second one is to cover up. We're like, man, I'm not worthy of this, and so I got to cover up the stuff that makes me unworthy, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to create that uh, cover up really well, and then I've got to maintain that as I meander into this group that I'm trying to fit into. The third one is to gain advantage. So you think, if I can get into that group and put on an appearance to get into that group, it would advantage me in this way. And then the fourth one is to keep an advantage. So maybe you've successfully gained advantage from a group by putting on appearances, but then you realize, I got to keep that appearance for the rest of my life in order to keep that advantage. Those are all reasons we put on appearances. So let's go deeper than that. Why do we do these things? Why do we, as human beings, put on appearances? Because let's just be real, all of us do it, right? All of us do it. All of us put on appearances. Why do we do that? And, and here's the answer. We are naturally insecure. We're just naturally insecure. All of us. Men, women, kids, we're, we're all insecure. No matter how, how stoic you are or how you know, non-emotional or whatever, all of us are insecure. And we are exposed as Adam and Eve were in the garden. We're uncomfortable before a holy God who knows us. And so the cover-ups began then and they continue now. Appearances. So we put on appearances. So the question is, how can we grow out of putting on appearances and help others with the same? How can we personally grow out of putting on appearances and then help others to also grow out of appearances? So here's the big idea today. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't only about new life, it's also about true life. Being a disciple of Jesus isn't only about new life, being forgiven your sins, having heaven ahead, resurrected life. It's also about true life, authentic before the Lord and others. So today, to walk us through that, we're going to look first at a reality and then the response to that reality. And here's the reality from verses 15 through 18, you can't trick Jesus, all right? You can't trick Jesus. Obvious statement, but we really don't live that way, do we, right? Like, we're like, I think I, I don't want to confess because, and then you're like, what you already know, so I might as well, right? You can't trick Jesus. So look at verses 15 through 16. It says, then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle Jesus in his words. And they sent their disciples to him along with the Herodians. All right, so right off the bat, uh, here we see that everyone is a disciple of someone. Do you see that? Like the Pharisees had disciples, the Herodians, they were disciples, they, they had disciples. And, and our, 
our reality here is we have options of who we follow and the purpose for us as we read God's word and as we gather here today is to be disciples of Jesus. Amen? Be disciples of Jesus. His disciples are here. They're watching this. Matthew's here. He's going to write this story for us so that we can learn from it. We have options. You have options. Be a disciple of Jesus. So these two groups, the Pharisees and the Herodians, were absolute enemies. Absolute enemies in, in every way. But they were temporarily united in one thing, and it was their hatred of Jesus. And hate is one thing that can unite people, is sad as that is. So, so who were these people? The Pharisees were the ruling Jews, all right? And, and they hated the Roman occupation of Israel. That's what they hated. They were the ruling Jews. And so, of course, they hated that Rome was occupying Israel. And then the Herodians, just break that down, Herodians, right? They were a Roman sect living the Roman dream in Jerusalem. So you can imagine why they hated one another, right? The Pharisees hated the Roman occupation and the Herodians were Romans living in occupied Jerusalem, living the Roman dream in Jerusalem. And so they hated each other, but their united goal, entangle Jesus in his words. And to that we say, fat chance, right? Fat chance. That you're going to entangle Jesus in words. We've seen them try this before. So here they go. Verse 16b. They say, teacher, we know, and I'm, I'm going to embellish this because we know that they're putting on appearances. Uh, I'm going to embellish this. This for sure isn't how they said it, but, but just, just hang with me. Teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. And you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. And Jesus is like, I see right through all that smoke, right? He sees right through all of that. They're trying to butter up Jesus with, you are not given to appearances. But what's ironic is that to be not given to appearances means to see through the smoke screens and to know the heart. And of all people, the God-man is awesome at that, right? And so they're trying to trick him, and we know that these critics of his were in trouble. The, the application here is you can't trick Jesus, y'all, right? You can't trick Jesus, y'all. Uh, last Sunday, uh, Brian Lowther sent me a text, uh, and the text read, quote of the sermon today, we won't be wearing sweatpants in heaven. He texted me that last Sunday afternoon. We won't be wearing sweatpants in heaven. And so today, the quote of the sermon has got to be, you can't trick Jesus, y'all. You can't trick Jesus. So why be fake? I mean, just think about this. Why be fake before the all-knowing God? Why? Like why? He knows you. He knows everything about you before you do it, before you think it. He's all-knowing. Why be fake before the all-knowing God? Just be real before him. So, so look at verse 17. Here's, here's their big question, right? They're buttering him up, verse 16. Verse 17 is their big question. Tell us then why you, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? That's their big, that's their big question. All right. Now, why was this a tricky question? Are we to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Why is this a tricky question to those two groups of people who are coming at 
Jesus, why is it a tricky question? Here's why. If Jesus answered, pay your taxes to Caesar, he would lose any favor with the Jews because why would a king of kings say to pay taxes to another king? Right? That's just one reason. And if Jesus answered, don't pay your taxes to Caesar, they would have just succeeded in getting Jesus and his disciples on Herod's IRS watch list, right? So they're thinking, we got him trapped. There's no way he can get out of this because there's two answers, yes or no. And what they didn't know is you can't trick Jesus, y'all. So here's verse 18. But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why put me to the test, you hypocrites? A hypocrite is someone who knows, who says one thing and does another, right? And Jesus is saying, when he's saying, why put me to the test, he means you're about to lose, right? He means you're about to lose. You can't trick Jesus, y'all. And I'm pretty sure he said y'all back in the day, all right? When I was a teenager, we would go on uh, mission trips to Mexico in the summers and uh, we would build a house for a family there. And um, when I was in high school, this is the 90s, the cool sunglasses at the time were Oakley's. But cool sunglasses, Oakley's were 150 bucks and none of us could afford that. So when we go to Mexico, we'd have one afternoon where we would go to the market and we'd get fakely's, all right? There's Oakley's and there's fakely's. And the goal was get the most real looking fakely's possible for the lowest amount of money. And then we all gather back together after the chaos of the market and we're working and we're building these houses, but now suddenly we look cool with our fakelies, right? And what's funny is when I look back at those pictures of all of us standing on those roofs, pouring those concrete roofs, I'm like, we look so dumb, right? (laughs) We're like, man, we're awesome. We got fakelies, right? It's so dumb. And what's interesting is that what's cool in this world changes, right? What's cool in this world changes. But what really matters never changes. And all of us know that. What really matters never changes, but what's cool in this world does change. So the question is, knowing that you can't trick Jesus, the question is, in what settings are you most likely to keep up with appearances rather than being authentic? In what setting or settings are you most likely to try to keep up with appearances rather than be authentic? What is that? What is that for you? I have some settings. What are those, what are those for you? And I guarantee you, I guarantee us that, that us being authentic, that you being authentic in those settings will for sure be fresh air to all who are in there because they're going to see that person's real. And they made the jump to put off appearances and to be authentic. And it's the thing that probably all of us wish we could do, but few of us have the courage to do. And Jesus gives us the courage to do that. And I want to encourage us to step up into being real in those settings. Jesus is committed to us while knowing our sin. He's committed to you while knowing your sin. Romans 5, 8, the love of God is demonstrated in this colon, right? 
that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He knows our sin, but God's love came because of that sin. He knows our shame. He knows our guilt. He knows everything about us, and he came and he loves us. He knows us, and we can't trick him, but we try, and so he comes, and he loves us, and he cares for us, and he speaks truth into our lives, and he goes deep and answers our questions, So knowing Jesus is committed to you while knowing your sin, what do we do with that? We keep choosing to be Jesus' disciples and we keep saying no to being disciples of every other type of thing in this world. But what does it look like to be authentic? What does it look like to no longer be given to appearances? And here's the last few verses. The answer to that is be the real deal. What does it look like to be authentic? Be the real deal, all right? A, a, A phrase synonym for authentic is be the real deal from verses 19 through 22. So what does that look like? And what is Jesus walking us toward? And how does he get these people there? And then how does he get us there? So look at verses 19 through 21. Jesus says, show me the coin for the tax. And so, you know, one of them like pulls this out and he shows it, hands it to Jesus. They brought him a denarius and Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, therefore render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. All right, so they hand him a denarius. So I I have a quarter here and and he's like, hey, whose image is that? And they say that's Caesar's. And he says, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. And then he goes on and he says, render to God the things that are God's. All right, so capture Jesus's command to them. He didn't answer yes or no to their question. He said, render to Caesar and render to God. So questions for us. Do you think that they were doing one of those, both of those, or neither of those? And do you think they were rendering to God the glory due his name? Do you think the Pharisees were rendering to God the glory due his name? Do you think that the Herodians were rendering to Caesar the glory, the glory, quotes, do his name? Do you think they were doing that? Perhaps they were doing it indeed only, but with little heart, all the appearances stuff. So, so here's what was happening. You may be wondering, why is there a strainer on this little pulpit shelf? All right, so here's, here's why, all right? What had happened to the Pharisees and the Herodians, and let's just talk Pharisees, all right? So they are entrusted with leading the worship of God for the people of God, all right? And, and they, have, they have knowledge of the doctrines of God, of the Old Testament writings, the prophets, all of those, and they're supposed to be about the doctrine, all of those things. So, so they're appointed to lead out of their love for God. But what happened is the love for God that was the basis of their leadership had strained out. And the only thing that was left was the deeds and the outward, forward sort of things that were impressing people. They were all about appearances now, and Jesus knew that. And they knew that, but they got real uncomfortable when Jesus started calling them on that, which he just did in this passage, all right? Same with the Herodians. They're like, Caesar, Caesar's our guy, right? And and they're, they, but really, They didn't love Caesar. They just loved the benefits that Caesar gave them because they loved living the Roman dream in a country that Rome had occupied. So as long as Rome was good to them, as long as Caesar was good to them, they were good with it. But they didn't really love Caesar, right? All of that had seeped out. They were just 
surface, dry appearances. And Jesus knew that about them, and then here's the deal. Y'all are like, please don't go to the next level, right? We do the same thing, right? We come to Christ, and we're like on fire for the Lord. I'm forgiven my sins. This is amazing. I'm growing in the word. I'm reading the Bible like, like Shelley's story of, a, of Muslims who are coming to Jesus. They're reading the Bible. They're learning. We come to Christ. We learn Christian phrases. We learn to do Christian things. We come to church on Sundays. We go to small group. We serve and we do all of these things and we give and we get good at obedience and honoring the Lord and we do all of that at the beginning for the glory to his name. And all of this, it's, it's not... It's not a strainer. It's like full and it's full of love and everything is like love for God, love for God. But over time we learn, I can just do the outward things and the love can seep out. And everyone's gonna realize I'm, I'm still, like I'm, I'm walking with the Lord, but there's no love there. And the Lord wants authenticity, not appearances, right? And so y'all, I, I mean, I, I can do this. All of us can do this. I could, I could come up here and put on like the best pastor face possible and trick every single one of you. Maybe not my wife, maybe not like some elders, right? But I could trick you for a little while and all of us realize that. That's appearances. And so then the accountability is for us. Like, Lord, I wanna be authentic before you. You know me, so why be fake? I wanna be authentic before you. You love me, so I love you back, no matter what. And when we are tempted to go into like strainer world ourselves, just like seal that up and, and love the Lord again, right? It's what Jesus wants. So these, these people were unwilling to come to Jesus as their authority. They were unwilling to come to Jesus with their shame. They just wanted Jesus out of the way so that they could retain their their own authority in that area. The Herodians, they wanted their authority. The Pharisees, they wanted their authority. And they knew that people loved Jesus. And Jesus was saying, he's the king. So they're like, we don't want to place ourselves under you. They were trying to cover up their shame rather than come to the Savior. So look at verse 22. It says, when they heard it, they marveled and they left him and went away. All right, so here's the you can't trick Jesus, y'all, thing, right? Jesus didn't answer yes or no. He said, render to Caesar what Caesar's rendered to God, what's God, meaning they weren't doing either of those things. He called them out in front of all the people that they had gathered to watch them beat Jesus and Jesus just got them. And they were exposed for being fakes. And so what did they do? They left him and went away. They left all the people too because they wanted the people to think that they were the real deal. So they kept putting on appearances rather than the option of just placing themselves under Jesus as Lord, bringing their shame to him rather than trying to cover it up. Not only did Jesus slip out of their trap, he taught them something that they, tied to their experiences, had never thought of, and this is what it means to be the real deal before God. That means to give God your all. It means to be good citizens. And it means to get over yourself and love God and love others. That's what it means to be the real deal. Like for me to say, if I were to ask all of you to like write a paragraph, what does it mean to be the real deal? That is something that is kind of understood by all of us already. What does it mean to be a real deal Christian? What's your answer to that? Like 
What does that mean? And at the core of your answer is authenticity. At the core of your answer is love for God, right? And not just doing stuff because you know it's the stuff that others see, but like real, you really love God. You really worship Jesus. We know what being the real deal is. And and if you're reading the Bible reading plan with us as a a church, we just read 1 and 2 Peter. And Peter's giving these instructions in First and Second Peter about how to be Christians in a country that doesn't worship Jesus. And he's telling them, like, be good citizens. Don't put trip hazards in front of other people we, so that they're not going to respect you and see you and want to know about Jesus. Like, love God, be good citizens, love others, and get over yourself. And that's being the real deal. And it's what we do here in our country as well. Obviously, Jesus wants us to be real. Obviously, right? Think about this. He is the real vine. We are his real branches to produce real fruit. So we know he's the real vine, but are we real branches? And are we producing real fruit? And that's what I want us, by the, by the Spirit of God, to get after today as we, as we encounter this passage together. We know Jesus is real, but are we the branch real? Are you the branch coming off of him real and is the fruit that we see real. So how do we be, how do we be the real deal? How do we be the real deal? So here, here it is in, in a sentence. You get the real God close to the real you. That's how to be the real deal. The real God, not some fake God, not some God that you've like manipulated definitions about so that it fits you better. Like real God as revealed from his word, this is his voice written down, right? Let's trust what he says about him rather than what we say about him, right? The real God is close as possible to the real us. And I say as close as possible because I realize none of us are gonna ever get this perfect until we see him, we're like, oh, and then we're redeemed in heaven for forever fully. Get the real God close to the real you. All right, we're, we're all really good at hiding. We're all really good at hiding. It's a sad skill that flooded our souls way back in the garden and is instinct in us ever since. So God, after Adam and Eve sinned, he's in the garden and he's saying, where are you, Adam and Eve? And, and that wasn't God actually wondering where they were. He's omniscient. He knew exactly where they were, right? That was God pointing out that they were hiding from him in their shame and that he's still pursuing them. Isn't that amazing? Like God knows our sin, he knows we hide, and he still pursues us. That is exactly what Jesus is doing in this passage with these people who are maddening in their their hard-heartedness against Jesus. He is still pursuing them. He's about to go on a cross in a matter of days in the timeline of Matthew. And he's still pursuing these hard-hearted people because he wants them to know him and be saved. God pursues us in our hiding and in our shame. So encountering this moment that we have here in Matthew 22, encountering this moment with Jesus leaves us with two options regarding the false self, regarding appearances, okay? Option one is to try to keep up with appearances, right? Reasonable. We're used to that. We could probably leave here today and do that just fine. Keep up with appearances, right? Or option two, be reborn. Be reborn. Not only reborn to the Lord and saved, and I know the vast majority of us in this room already are, but be reborn to the true self, who we are, 
because of who Jesus is. Reborn to that, putting off the appearances, right? And, and Jesus obviously is offering the latter option. Keep up with appearances or be reborn. He's offering the latter. So let Jesus be who he already is for you. Let Jesus be for you who he already is. And here's what I mean by that. And this is a way out of appearances and toward authenticity, okay? Here's what I mean by that. He is Savior, so you don't have to cover up your shame. Right? Do you feel that? Right? We're all covering up our shame all the time. We're slow to confess our sins. We're trying to hide. But he's our Savior. He saved us. Let him be to you who he already is. He's our savior, so you don't have to hide your shame. Next is he's shepherd, so you don't have to follow someone else. That's the whole disciple thing. You can be a disciple of whoever you want to be a disciple of in this world. But if Jesus is your shepherd, you don't have to follow someone else. Let him be for you, your shepherd. And then last one is, let him be your authority. He already is authority over the heavens and the earth, over all the things that we've seen in the Gospel of Matthew, over disease, over weather, right? He's authority over all of these things. He's authority over our souls. He's authority over eternal things. So he is authority. So if he is your authority, then you don't have to fear man and try to put on appearances because your authority is Jesus. That's the way out of appearances and into authenticity. So I want you to, um, the, the vast majority of the, of the remainder of the sermon, just a few more moments together, is uh, slides that we've put together. So I want you to look at these realities about keeping up with appearances, and I've never said this applicationally, but I want you to get nauseated, okay? All right? Um, I think we're all aware that appearances is really silly, but when it's kind of written down and you see it in, in front of you, you're like, that is dumb, especially in Christ Jesus, especially who we are in him, especially what, the way he's loved us and forgiven us, right? So here we go. Appearances drain integrity because you have to be something false, right? Appearances drain integrity because you have to be something false. And we want to be people of integrity. But if you're keeping up appearances, you can't be a person of integrity, because you have to be something false. And y'all, that's a lot of work. Second, appearances drain life because there's no abundance in the artificial. There's no abundance in the artificial. And we want abundance. And Jesus came and he offers abundant life. Appearances drain life because there's no abundance in the artificial. There's no abundance in the plastic, right? And then the third one is appearances drain opportunity because better options must go unopened. If you're living by appearances and you're trying to keep up those appearances and something else, a better option comes, you're so locked into that appearance that you can't go to the better option. And that's exactly what's happening to the Herodians and the Pharisees. And that we're all 100% confident broke Jesus' heart. They were so keeping up with appearances that they couldn't come to Jesus and be saved. So, Next, let's look at what appearances cause in us versus being the real deal with God, okay? Versus what's real with God and, what's, and us being the real deal with God. So this is a contrast, okay? First one, 
What appearances cause? Anxiety about being accepted. That's for sure the first one. Number one, by long shot. That's what appearances cause. Anxiety about being accepted. But consider instead, in Christ, we are founded on the Father's unconditional love. Right? Anxiety about being accepted versus the reality of founded on the Father's, capital F, the Father, God the Father, creator of the heavens and the earth, founded on the Father's unconditional love. Love is what we want. It's why we put on appearances. Unconditional love of the Father founded on that. That's Christianity through Jesus Christ. So why put on appearances? Second one is, Appearances causes emptiness from shallow relationships. You're just putting on an outward facade all the time and years later you look back and you're like, I am a mile wide and an inch deep. And then in Christ, we can be following Jesus who knows you and grows you. If you wanna have depth and grow roots in Jesus Christ, and fruitfulness in this world. Follow Jesus who already knows you and can take all that he knows about you, which is everything, and then grow you into one of his disciples. And then the third one is disoriented from trying to keep up. That's what appearances do. Disoriented from trying to keep up. Like, think about it, like, you're, you're in a group of people, you're trying to put on appearances, and one week they want this, and so you try to do that, and then the next week they want this, so you try to do this, and then the next week it's this, and by week three you're dizzy. You're disoriented, right? Changing agenda, moving the goalposts, that's this world. And then the alternative is being aimed by the Holy Spirit and God's word. And y'all, those, those, those options on that right column are so refreshing. And that is what Jesus offers us. That's what he offers all of us. Appearances versus authenticity. Being the real deal versus being fakes. Now, I, I am so thankful. I really think we're a church full of authentic people. But, but we all have work to do. All right? If we're authentic, we're all like, we have work to do. I don't think this is a fake church. I really don't. I really don't. Praise God, I really don't. But we have, we have work to do here. And so we realize that being a disciple isn't just about new life, but about true life, about true life. So, so what does this look like, right? Let's just take our mission here at Harvest, loving God, loving one another, loving others. What does it look like to be the real deal? So first, with God, what does that look like to be the real deal with God? It looks like confession, real, just real. Confession. And then what does it look like? Being forgiven, because he's faithful and just to forgive our sins if we confess our sins. Then it looks like being loved and being led and following him. That's what it looks like to be the real deal with God. Confession, forgiveness, being loved, being led, and following him. That's what happens. That's real deal Christianity. And that's amazing. The second one, what does it look like to be the real deal with one another? Two words plus, plus some responsibility. Um, sinner saved. What does it look like to be the real deal with one another? It's sinner saved. Not like swag, like I got it all figured out, but just sinner saved. Jesus loves me. He's changed me. He's transformed my life. And then being worthy of receiving one another's authenticity. And here's what I mean by that. You have to be, if we want to be a church where like someone can come to you with their authenticity and, and put off the fake put off the appearances and bring you their real selves. If you want to be a person that 
that they would deem worthy of that, here's some obvious things that you could probably already fill in your minds that, that you would need. One, you would need to be approachable, and what makes you approachable is first, you're not a gossip, you're not a slanderer. Like, no one's bringing their real self to you if they see you ever gossiping or slandering, right? All right, it's one reason Jesus says don't do those things. And then they, they see you faithful. They see you to be someone who's trying to be the real deal yourself. They hear that you're someone who's calling yourself sinner saved. You're real. Those are two powerful words, sinner saved. Those are real words. Those are honest words. And then they see that you're faithful in prayer and friendship. And they're thinking, if I bring this to that person, that's not the end of the conversation with them. That's the beginning of fellowship about this thing and about the real me and how I want Jesus to develop the real me into someone who he would call his disciple, right? So the follow-up, the friendship, the prayerfulness that comes, and then here's how to be the real deal with lost people. It's those two words, sinner saved. That's it, sinner saved. When you're around lost people, do they know that you're a sinner saved? Do they know you're a sinner or are you just like, I got it all figured out. You're doing everything wrong. I got it all figured out, right? That, they're not approaching that, right? But do they realize you're a sinner and that you're saved? Because those are two honest words that really speak in our culture because most people are unwilling to say they're a sinner. Most people say I've messed up. Most people say I've got guilt, I've got shame. But to say they're a sinner, people understand there's, there's a means to have that handled by God, right? And then a sinner saved means you have leaned into that and asked God to save you. And that's so clear and honest and good in our world. Two words, sinner saved. All right, so if it's apparent to you that you are living by appearances and not authentic, Step one, as with all things Jesus, is repentance, right? Step one, as with all things Jesus, is repentance. And we hear that word, and we're like, repentance, oh my goodness, he said the R word, right? Repentance. What repentance means is not just like, I gotta turn from this really bad thing. That is what it is, but that's only half of it, right? We talk about this a lot. Repentance is really recognizing there is such a better option. And so you turn and you're like, I like this option so much better, the real option, being real before God, being the real deal. I like this so much better than I'm gonna repent of appearances and be authentic. That's repentance. It's like, it's not hating this as much as it's loving that. It is hating this, but it's loving the Lord. It's both and. It's repent, turn, and believe. So that's step one. You're just like, I'm, Lord, I'm gonna repent of these appearances and I'm gonna turn to you and be authentic. And so in what areas of your life are those are those kind of the, your norm right now, and, and would you trust the Lord by the power of the Holy Spirit with his leadership from his word to walk you out of that and into authenticity and just watch the way he would refresh you, he'd refresh others around you, he would change your life, he'd make you a disciple in that area of your life as well. Just wait and watch what he would do. Like we don't wanna do verse 22, they left him and went away. We wanna, we wanna lean in and be like, I'm now your disciple in this area too, right? So I wanna close with two prayers uh, and they're written on the screen. And in hindsight, I probably should have put them on the same slide so you could read them as we take communion here in a minute, but I wasn't that smart, okay? So um, just catch the gist of them and then maybe they can inform your prayer before the Lord, just you and the Lord here in just a minute as we take communion. So the first is a repentance prayer, okay? A repentance prayer. Lord, I've been really fake with you and others 
but you know me and you love me no matter what. My Christian community loves me no matter what. I want to be real and stop hustling to keep up appearances and instead turn to abide in you. Help me to mature in you rather than wither in the false world of appearances. And then a second prayer is a prayer for us as a church. Lord, you know our sin and our shame. You know our hiding. Yet, you come find us. Yet, you sacrificed yourself so that we can be in fellowship with you again. May we as a church find our identity in your death and your burial and your resurrection knowing we are forgiven We're adopted and we're sent to be the real deal. So I want to give you just a moment to pray to the Lord, just you and him, and open up with him. He already knows all of you. Just open up, and then I'll lead us in communion.